Hey there, today I'm sharing with you my conversation with Mark Stromenberg from Hashtag Hope. Now Mark is an expert in the mental health and suicide prevention field and he and his partner Nick have set the bar high with Hashtag Hope, a world without suicide. So if you're a church leader that feels uncomfortable when conversations about mental health and suicide come up because you're not quite sure what to do with them, then you've got to stick around for this one. We're getting started right now. Hey there, my name is Mike, I'm a church helper, and my goal today is to help your church make every decision on purpose. Now this episode is really amazing and you're not gonna wanna miss the next one, so make sure you hit that like and subscribe button right now. Makes a huge difference to us over here, both as an encouragement and helps us know what information to give you next. Now today, I'm presenting to you my conversation with Mark Stronenberg from Hashtag Hope. And as somebody who's battled mental illness himself, Mark is passionate about communicating hope and help to the one-fifth of Canadians who struggle with mental illness and to those who have a friend or a family member who is hurting as well. Through his own life, his training, and his professional experience, Mark seeks to bring the light of hope to those struggling with depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts in a holistic and practical way. Mark specializes in motivational speaking, leading educational workshops, and suicide intervention instruction. You're going to love this conversation. I know it. So you are going to get into it right now. Hey there, Mark. Thanks so much for uh, joining today. So happy to have you here. Oh, it's good to be here, Mike. So uh, we got together a little while ago and we were talking about Hashtag Hope, which is a, a, an organization that I've known about for a while, whether it was through you know, youth retreats um, or uh, them visiting um, youth groups that uh, I was leading. But why don't you tell us a little bit about Hashtag Hope and uh, maybe the genesis, the origin story, what it's all about uh, and what you're really trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Hashtag Hope started in about uh, 2013 um, by a buddy of mine, Nicholas Pegg, um, when we were both at Bible College together. Um, he started looking for ways to reach out and connect with people who, like him, uh, were struggling with uh, thoughts of suicide. And, um, and he started that really at Change Conference in Toronto uh, in 2013 and uh, just brought some t-shirts along that said, it's okay not to be okay, sold mm. out before the first session even started. Oh, wow. And, um, and so he knew at that point that he was on to something, um, that mental health was something that people were really interested about, that young people especially were concerned about. Um, and, uh, and certainly uh, eight years ago, there were fewer resources available at the time. Uh, myself, I've been speaking um, from my own lived experience as well on mental health and suicide for uh, about the same length of time, um, coming out of the Youth for Christ Youth Unlimited world. And uh, about two years ago, uh, two and a half years ago, prior to COVID, uh, we sat down and started talking about what would it look like to join our speaking ministries together. Uh, and that's really how um, the charity of Hashtag Hope was born. Uh, and so we spent the last couple of years working on that and kind of rolling things forward. Um, our, our vision is to see a world without suicide. 
Um, that's that's huge. <laughs> mm-hmm. We knew we wanted a vision that was bigger than we could accomplish. Um, something that will always keep driving us forward. Cool. And the way we do that is um, we speak hope and life into darkness and death, particularly in places that people are not going, um, and specifically through the creative arts. Uh, so that's what we've been focused on for the last couple of years. Um, we became a registered charity um, almost two years ago, um, and we're looking to grow out of COVID and to continue to be able to speak um, in different places and provide um, some basic training on what to do when people are hurting or struggling um, and hoping one day to open an advocacy center in Cambridge, Ontario. Cool. So you didn't start with, uh, like you've been with Hashtag Hope for a couple of years. What's your background? How did, what were you doing before that kind of transitioned you into this to say, wow, this is, um, this is really a wheelhouse that I might find myself in? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been a youth worker with Youth Unlimited for about 15 years, about five years volunteering on and off and um, on staff for the last 10 years. And uh, so I'm transitioning out of that, um, did a lot of different kinds of youth ministry, uh, drop-in centers, uh, sports ministry, uh, music ministry. Um, but through that experience working with at-risk teenagers, I, sh- I started to share um, some of my own journey with depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. Um, and, uh, and from there, I started getting opportunities to speak in different youth groups and, and a couple of conferences. Um, one of my, um, one of my trainers in Youth for Christ Canada, Brett Andrews, who, um, who used to be on staff at Emmanuel Bible College in Kitchener, uh, him and Paul Robertson really gave me my first opportunity to speak at the, uh, today's teens conference, um, for Toronto Youth Unlimited, and uh, and so from the last couple of years, um, that's taken up more and more of my ministry focus, and um, I guess by the time this comes out, I will have started my uh, stepping out of Youth for Christ um, into the role of Executive Director for Hashtag Hope. So what is your, so you and Nick are tag teaming this together, what's his role, what's your role, and how do, how do you two complement each other here? Because that's, hmm. You and I have talked to each other a little bit about that. I think it's so cool how you bring your different skills, but you're both passionate about the same thing and the same outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we have a co-directorship model. Um, so he's the founder and like chief creative and outreach officer, and I'm the executive director um, as co-equals leading this thing. Um, we knew that was something we wanted to do. Uh, we were told it was a dumb idea that someone needs to be in charge. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's working really well so far. Um, <laughs> I mean, we haven't had any major conflict yet. We'll figure that out when we get there. But um, uh, I th- I think like like I tend to be really I, I tend to be more of a teacher. Um, and Nick is um, just a really creative and charismatic and compelling speaker. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so I think that partnership has worked really well for us um, to be able to build off of each other and lean into one another's strengths. Um, there's a lot of things I am not good at, and there's a lot of things that Nick is not good at. Um, and so I, I think one of the neat things about a co-director model um, is it kind of puts a little bit of a damper on both of our egos. 
Um, and, uh, but also, you know, kind of creates the kind of culture that we're hoping to build within the organization and, or, uh, a culture of, um, leaning into each other's strengths, um, and really, uh, just trying to pursue the picture of like one body with many parts, um, each doing, uh, you know, what they were created and designed to do uh, to the best of their ability. Yeah, that's awesome. And and so, uh, you know, this kind of is a new chapter for Hashtag Open the last couple of years. Um, it's been around for a while. I I have one of the sweaters that say it's okay not to be okay. So I'm one of those mm-hmm. people that's helped sell those out. Yeah, that's um, OG. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's, a, it's an old one. I've had that's it for a long old. time. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Um, uh, you know, and, and so talk us through a little bit, uh, because we've heard a lot about, um, especially through COVID, um, a lot about mental health and mental well-being. Mm-hmm. And um, there are so many different just areas and avenues to go down when we, when we hit this topic. Um, whether it's, you know, how you're doing day to day or or how you're managing stress and anxiety or suicide. Um, So how, you know, what are you seeing right now? I I suppose, what were you seeing pre-COVID and and how is that changing now? Um, You know, as an organization, what are you noticing? Uh, And then, you know, how are you sort of moving uh, towards helping people deal with those um, those types of struggles, because I think mental health, even though it's become a bit more of a mainstream conversation, is still such a big, a big ball uh, to hold all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, how are how are you guys approaching it, and 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 what does that look like, and what are what are you seeing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think anyone that's worked in youth work. Um, prior to COVID already really knew um, the importance of mental health for, for young people in particular. Um, we, we've always known that's been a struggle, um, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, uh, self-harm, cutting, um, and suicide. That's, that's just been part and parcel of doing youth work. Um, and those of us on the front line have, have known that for a long time. One of the things that COVID has done is it's it's really transformed other people's understanding of mental health as being um, not just important for somebody who is visibly struggling or um, you know is is acting strangely or you know is is uh, you know hearing voices or seeing things, um, but that mental health is something that's important to every single one of us. Um, we all have. We all have a brain um, that runs on different biochemicals, um, and that is affected by um, what happens around us, by our environment, um, and the people that are uh, that we are with. Um, and so, I've had that conversation with a number of adults over the last two years. Of like, I knew mental health was important before COVID, but now I really understand how important it is. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what we're seeing for young people, um, uh, a lot of people were very concerned that we would see a sudden spike in suicides. Um, mm-hmm. That is not translated um, in the same way that people were expecting, thankfully. Uh, I think initially young people who were already digitally connected um, fared better than most people in their 30s and 40s who may have experienced a lot more isolation. Um we know that 
suicide rates um, that for middle-aged men, you know, uh, 45 to 55, um, that's a high point. That's a spike point in the demographics for um, for completed suicides. Um, but we have seen we have seen some changes. Um, we do know um, that prior to COVID, one in ten teenagers in Ontario um, would uh, admit to having felt suicidal within the last year. Um, that's gone up. We've seen uh, it's about uh, the latest information coming out of uh, CAMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto, is that uh, one in five teenagers admits to feeling uh, completely overwhelmed by the pandemic. Um, And uh, one of the scariest statistics actually has to do with the LGBTQ plus youth community. Um, One in three kids who identify as LGBTQ plus um, have attempted suicide in the last year. Wow. That's a big number. Yeah, we knew that was high already. Um, We we knew that was the most at risk and vulnerable demographic. Um, but that's the demographic we've seen a visible spike in, uh, in suicide attempts in the last two years. Hmm. It's interesting to me that you said, um, people that were already digitally connected seem to be at a, at a lower risk of a more serious outcome. Uh, that's a summarization, I, but that, that sounds like about what you said. If I'm wrong, please let me know. Uh, why do you think that's the case? Is, is, it, is it because um, uh, younger demographics uh, you know, know where to find help easier? Is it because the culture is turning to a place where this is just something that we're talking about more and usually early adopters are teens anyways? Uh, is it kind of a combination of those things? What does that look like? And then I guess on the flip side, um, those demographics that are at most risk, how do we, what do we do there? How does that, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what are, mm-hmm. you know, what, how do, how do you get to those demographics that, that are at a higher risk point, even maybe because it's just not what they grew up with or, or they don't have the tools. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, like we've been, we have been created for relationship. That's not a surprise to anyone that's in ministry. That is, you know, we're, we're taught that um, as someone who's been in ministry leadership for 10 years and as a pastor's kid, um, that translates very differently for those of us that are in ministry leadership sure. is we tend not to be in good peer-to-peer relationships, um, especially as we start to get older. Um and the one thing that we've we've really seen play out during the pandemic is that relationships and personal connections are critically important to mental health and to well-being. Um, we know that for people that are at risk of suicide, the number one determining factor as to whether or not um, they will follow through with a suicide. Um, comes down to the connecting points that they have, the quality of the relationships that are around them. Hmm. Um, That makes all of the difference between whether someone um, goes through with suicide or not. Um, And the same, I think, is true, um, like, as we journey through this pandemic, um, is that those who have been able to find ways to connect, um, to share hurt, struggle, pain with one another... Um, they have done better. 
Um, those who have not been able to have really struggled and felt hurt and isolated and alone. And so I think initially teenagers have been very well connected online. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, they did better, I think, in the first six, the first six months because they were already connected online um, while the rest of us were still figuring it out. Um, I think what we're going to see over the next couple of years, um, like we really don't know the impacts of this pandemic on mental health, especially on young people's mental health. Um, The benefit that you and I have um, is that we've been through hurt and struggle before, if not quite like this, um, we have the context um, and the skills, hopefully, to know, here's how I get through challenge. Here's how I get, how I get through struggle. Um, these are the people, the places, the practices, the rituals that I go to um, to process my pain and my hurt. Um, uh, teenagers often don't have that yet. Um, and for those that started in grade nine, um, they're looking at a third year of graduations with no... No graduation ceremony, no prom. Um, these yeah. rites of passage that we look forward to and um, and are deeply meaningful in, in our sense of transitioning from adolescence to adulthood, our sense of mm-hmm. identity, um, that has really been changed and disrupted. Um, and so I think I think really what we're going to see 10, 20 years down the road is then we're going to start to understand the long-term impacts of the isolation and the trauma of these two years on people and on young people in particular. Right. So what can we do now? What, what are some of the things that um, either people can be aware of, um, things that they can say or not say? Like you said, we're not going to know the full impact for a while, but using the things that we know about suicide and mental health now, um, what is, what are some of the things uh, that you're teaching? Right. Uh, hashtag hope is a, a, isn't an organization that just gets up and sells sweaters, right? You go around mm-hmm. and you, you are a resource, you do workshops, you get into churches and places and, and actually teach this stuff. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll, we'll circle back to that in a second and make sure people know how to get to hold of you and bring you in. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, what are some of the insights that you bring, um, uh, of, of things that we can be doing now to at least sort of mitigate the risk or the damage? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first thing that is critically important is to spend time grieving. Um, mm-hmm. This is something that we as a church and as evangelicals in particular um, are not good at. Um, Protestants don't know how to grieve and mourn and cry. Um, we often tend to be suspicious of, uh, you know, like stuff coming out of Ignatian spirituality and um, you know, the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? But one of the reasons I love the Psalms um, and some of the harder parts of Scripture, like parts of Isaiah and Lamentations and the book of Job, you know, it's funny how often um, believers turn to the book of Job in the midst of pain, even though it's such a discouraging book <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. Um, uh, there is something in that grieving and mourning experience which is super critical and crucial to be able to process pain. Right. Um, and I don't think that's something that we have done well. That's something that we focus on as, as hashtag hope. When we set up in a bar or a music venue, we've got a big sign, eight by eight foot banner behind the table that says death does not deserve you. There's a picture of a skull with a flower coming out and that flower is the only piece that has color on it. 
it. Um, and it's this instant starting point of conversation into a person's pain and their hardship and their desire to give up, to quit, to die, to no longer be here. Mm. Um, and I think that is the starting point, whether it's someone who is suicidal or someone who's just going through a hard time. Um, we often, out of our own need to want to see people do better, we skip past their need to talk about their pain. Uh, and so that would be my first recommendation. This is what we always try to do with Hashtag Hope is we give people a place um, to talk about, to um, express, um, to uh, for a short time to live in their pain in a public way, in a shared way um, with other people um, so that we can walk alongside of them in that, that hurt that... Um, there's a there's a healing that comes in that shared experience of walking together through hardship. It's something we know, um, but we struggle to do because it's it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. We want to jump to um, the end of the story of the healing, of the freedom, of the return of Jesus, of the good things. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not there yet. Um, and so the, that's my first encouragement is learn to walk well with people in pain and hardship and to listen and to empathize. Um, my second encouragement um, is to like provide the kind of um, relational support that people need. Um, sometimes this will mean that I need to be uncomfortable and m- spend time with people that maybe I don't particularly want to spend time with um, that I don't naturally connect with. But I mean, like this is the heart of the gospel. Like Jesus says, you know, when you have a party, invite over those who can't repay um, the favor, bring over, you know, those that don't have a home and those that are sick and those who, you know, are aliens and foreigners. Those are not, those are not friend categories. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, for course. most of us. Um, and so it means that like if we are if we are serious about following the calling of Jesus, um, that we need to be willing to step out of our offices and spend time with people who are hurting. Um, but sometimes that can't be us. Um, a lot of what we do is we kind of show up and we share our story and we tell people that there is hope um, and then we leave. Uh, One of the things that we try to do when we do that is to make local connections. Like where are the resources within that community um, that are already there um, that we can point people towards so that they don't just hear an encouraging story and then go home and feel alone and unsupported. Right. Right, right, right. That's and that's great. I love that um, because there's no reason to. You don't need to be the hero to everybody in every moment or every situation. Mm-hmm. But if if you're the door that points people towards something else, that's really great too. Um, mm-hmm. I, one question I I had for you. Sorry, this one just popped up, and I apologize if you're not ready for it. Um, what are some ways right now? Do you think that maybe? Um, w- w- people can get sort of triggered or, or can get put in a bad spot. That's that 
people like us are just, we're doing unintentionally. So uh, I think of this example, um, mutual friend of ours or acquaintance, I don't know if you would call me a friend, probably not, but uh, Brett Ullman. Um, uh, we were chatting once about this and he said, so if you know Brett, you know his story. And if you don't, I don't think he would, his story is open. Um, all of his speeches, talks, presentations, he does now sitting down um, uh, because of something that happened to him quite a while ago. And so for him, when a church, you know, worship person says, um, uh, you know, stand up and sing with us, or then sit down and stand up. And um, that's actually a lot for some people, like the need to, and not just him, but other people that he's talked to as well, like, like this need to move around. And so he has kind of said, you know, something that can really trigger people is, is stop saying, <laughs> can you just stand with us? And then when the one or two people don't stand because they can't, I, they're they're even full of maybe more anxiety than they weren't. Is is there something that you're seeing that that you see people do, see people say that maybe we're not thinking about, uh, that we should really sort of change our approach, um, uh, and just maybe put it in our mind a little bit more often. Mm-hmm. I tried to vamp give, there for a minute yeah, to give you a, yeah. to get <laughs> <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you a pet peeve, and then I'll give you some more helpful. Awesome, that's great. <laughs> that's that's more helpful. For. <laughs> um, one of my pet peeves is when people talk about their OCD, um, and I put about that in quotations OCD? if you're if you're listening on the podcast. Um, okay. Because like people often talk about like, oh well, I do I do this thing that is organized because of my OCD. Um, OCD right. stands for obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, I have a friend who has who has OCD, right. um, and her obsessions and her compulsions are deeply, deeply debilitating. Um, that's led to many, many suicide attempts um, and severe anxiety. And so it's for me knowing that it's very frustrating to hear people make such uh, light pity comments about a very severe uh, mental illness um, you know needing to line things up in a certain order is not OCD that's you know being anal or <laughs> right. you know just being particular um, that's that's not because you have a severe anxiety disorder that debilitates your ability to do a lot of things in your life sure and so that's something I would like us to just stop using and the reason why is not to be politically correct but be because by speaking of it in that way it minimizes the pain of the people that are living through that mm-hmm. and and this kind of leads into my bigger point of like we can't avoid triggering people um or like you can't you can't eliminate that from your life um like we're we're going to make mistakes. We're going to say things. We're going to um, not know people's backstory and make a comment that we don't know is going to be hurtful. Um, and and I think the the forward momentum of like growing in our character and our concern for other people um, is to be able to move to a place. And this is hard for me in certain contexts. Um, 
to move away from being defensive in that situation right. and to recognize that even in spite of no ill intent, um, our words have caused hurt and harm to other people. Right. Um, and, and so I think the, the answer to that is twofold. First, to be quick to apologize, um, knowing that, you know, our, our righteousness is in Jesus, not in our performance anyway. And so that ego shouldn't get in the way. But it does. <laughs> but it shouldn't. Right. <laughs> of um, but second is, and this is really something I've learned as a Youth for Christ worker that I think my coworkers do really well is to learn to develop an eye and an ear for people um, that are on the edges. Mm. Um, and so whether this is like becoming more aware of abuse issues or of, you know, things regarding residential schools and indigenous issues or, um, you know, the struggles being faced by people in the LGBTQ plus community um, or, uh, you know, the struggles of people with mental illness um, is this is a learning and growing journey of discovering, um, you know, what, where are people hurting? Um, where is there injustice, um, and how can we, um, how can we adjust our behavior again? Not to be politically correct, um, to gain more, you know, favor, prestige, or approval from the world. But how do we adjust our behavior so that we are aware of? Um, those that are on the outside, that those who have not been invited to the banquet table, those who don't feel that they are able to approach um, the throne of God. Um, regardless of people's perspective on the meeting house in Bruxy Cavey, one of the things I've really appreciated from them is every winter they take the month of February to focus um, intentionally on a a demographic or a portion of people um, that are not well served by the church. And last year in 20, uh, February 2021, they did four weeks focusing on people um, with physical disabilities and their inter interaction and experience of church. And so they explored having uh, interpreters and subtitles um, and invited those people to the table to have conversations and to listen to them about why it was hard for them to engage with the typical Sunday service. Um, so one of them gave an example of having a, a son um, with um, some sub significant um, disabilities, um, some mental disabilities, uh, and it basically meant that they couldn't attend church for years um, because of the unpredictability of his behavior, and, and he knew that and how hard of a struggle that was for the family and how separated they felt from community. Um, and I think it's, so I think it's important for us to set aside time and to be intentional uh, about listening to those members of our community, uh, about hearing their needs and their struggles um, so that we can do everything we can and ask the question, I, I forget who said this, but it's not me. What does love demand of us? Right. Um, ask that question, what does love demand of us so that we can lay down our lives and serve um, those who are hurting within our communities? Mm -hmm. There you go. Uh, so what are, uh, what are you guys up to? What is hashtag hope doing? How are you? So you mentioned, you know, when we set up in a bar or a restaurant, so that, or, or a club. So that's interesting mm -hmm. to me. So you can 
you can dip into that just for a second because that's got me curious. Um, mm. uh, but you know, how are you helping you know Christian organizations or churches or really any organization, schools? Um, how are you helping them out? And then uh, how can you help? You know, if there's a church that that is short in this area, which a lot of us are, um, you know. Can people bring you in? Uh, that sort of thing. How does that mm-hmm. all? How does that all work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the primary focus on our ministry is on speaking and advocacy, as well as on some training as well. Um, and so, either Nick or I, or both of us, we will go in and speak in different venues. Um, in a music venue, it tends to be like spoken word, um, or just having a visible presence. Um, I'll tell you a story about that in a moment. Um, okay. But, uh, but uh, some, sometimes in schools, it's classrooms um, or assemblies um, as more of a motivational speaker. Um, we also do uh, like youth groups or like a Sunday morning service even. Uh, conferences, we do a little bit of workshopping. And so there is really where we start to lean into some of the training that we do. Um, I used to teach the ASSIST course, which is sort of the, uh, the gold standard of suicide intervention. It's a two-day, 15-hour course. Um, I've since transitioned from doing that to uh, doing a two- or three-hour um, training for volunteers. So this is not a certification course of any kind, but it's an introduction for those that are not likely to go or just you don't have the financial resources to send you know, 20 volunteers to go and take a $100 course. Um, is that I'll come in and I'll, I'll share a little bit, an introduction to how do you have, how do you approach a conversation with someone that you suspect may be suicidal? Um, what are some basic things that you can do if someone is struggling with depression or struggling with anxiety or experiencing a panic attack? And so it's very basic. It's, it's just, uh, you know, what are some practical tools that ordinary people can use to start to engage in these kind of conversations? Um, and then we encourage and connect people to, you know, if you are a, a caregiver regularly to someone at risk, um, to continue to pursue more, uh, more education and, and training. Uh, particularly in bars and music venues, um, that's been a really unique ministry for us. Uh, Nick has a background um, in, uh, in the, the heavy metal scene. He was uh, part of a post-hardcore band. Uh, a number of years ago. And, <laughs> I didn't know that about um, him. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I used to have dreadlocks that were down past my shoulders or <laughs> both, into, uh, both into the metal scene. And um, a white guy with dreadlocks usually doesn't look good. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, uh, so often we, Nick, Nick in particular, gets invited by a band to go on tour or to show up at a music venue. Sometimes he's given opportunities to do some spoken word uh, at the beginning of or partway through a set. Uh, and then we set up our table with that, um, you know, that banner which says, death does not deserve you. Uh, and people come over and they look at it um, and it instantly connects with their pain. Um, particularly in the party scene, um, we've been to a couple of raves, uh, so electronic music scene, and lots of young people are there, and um, they're using ecstasy or they're using cocaine usually. Um, and so people are there because they're hurting and they want to forget and they want to feel good and forget about their pain for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and the opportunity that we have is to say, yes, you are here. 
um, but let's also connect with that pain and talk about it uh, and to remind people, thank you for being here. Thank you for staying. Um, you are not alone in your hurt and your pain. Um, and so that might be considered pre-evangelism. Um, it's really an opportunity for us to, to love people and to open up a conversation with them about their hurt and their pain um, and to trust and, and to pray that God would pick up on that at another point with them. Mm-hmm. That's amazing that you go into um, those spaces, right? You just, uh, um, many church leaders just tensed up and got terrified of even the thought of, <laughs> of some of, right? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it, it is, it is a little intimidating, yeah. uh, you know, standing across the table and having a guy who's like coked out of his brain telling you like, I want to give you money. Can you promise this all goes to charity? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But, but really, those, really interesting. <laughs> through those places, you know, you're, you're putting your, like you said before, you challenged uh, some people to just, you know, get uncomfortable with a conversation, but you're, mm-hmm. you know, you guys are walking it. You're getting uncomfortable in your location. You're going, yep. we're going to find yep. out where people are and we're just going to get in there. Yep. Yep. Wow. So how yep. can people tap into you? Where can they find you? So you, you do the training, um, uh, you, you both come and you can do speaking or uh, youth groups, you know, where do people get a hold of you? How does that work? Um, what does mm-hmm. booking you look like? And, and that sort of thing. Yeah, the easiest way is to check us out on our website, uh, hashtag hope.ca. That's the word hashtag spelt out, dot ca. Uh, or through Instagram at hashtag hope.ca. And I'll give you the link so you can throw those in the show notes. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, that's probably the easiest. Um, okay. You can reach out to me directly uh, through email at mark at hashtag hope.ca. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, any last, uh, we had a great conversation. I loved it. Um, maybe there's a question that you would have hoped that I would have asked or someplace that you thought I should have left you. So last words, anything uh, so encouraging to people or, or something that you feel like, you know, if there's one, one thing everybody should leave with, maybe it's this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think one question I get quite a bit, um, is from people who have not lived with a mental illness. They haven't, they haven't been severely depressed. They've never had a panic attack. They've never felt suicidal. Um, and sometimes people will ask like, how do I, how do I connect? I don't, I don't understand this. It's not personal to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there is a very big difference. Like once you've been through that experience of just just wanting to go home with Jesus and not be here and thinking about doing something about doing that. (laughs) Once you've been through that, you can really connect with that sense of exhaustion and tiredness with people. But if you haven't been there, it's hard to it's hard to understand that. Sure. Um, and so I would say, like, there's a myth out there that you can't understand another person's experience. And I don't think that's entirely true. Um, we can become better students of each other's experiences. And so my encouragement to you, if, you, if you're listening and you don't really know much about mental health, um, is ask questions of those around you. Um, ask if they're comfortable to have a conversation about their experience and that you'd like to learn from it. 
um, and listen well. Don't be afraid to, you know, maybe ask some questions that you feel you don't know if it's the right question to ask or not, uh, and learn from people's stories. Listen to people's stories, um, because as you do and as you walk alongside people that are hurting, um, I really believe that God will um, just soften your heart and 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 increase your understanding of why people do what they do and the hurt and the pain that they they've experienced, um, and that through that listening, through that relationship, um, that there is great opportunity for you to provide hope um, and encouragement for people that are hurting. It's a good. That's a good ending. That's as, as good a way to do it as any. Well, Mark, thanks so much for taking a few minutes with me today. Really appreciate it. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll make sure we link everything down below. Uh, and uh, hopefully uh, some people start reaching out and uh, start training their communities and their leaders mm-hmm. in this area a little bit more. So thanks so much for everything you're doing. Thanks for your commitment to going into tough spaces and having tough conversations and really going all in and dedicating yourself into this. It's uh, it's an incredible ministry, and, and I am very appreciative of it, uh, for sure. So thanks so much for doing that. Oh, thanks so much. Uh, let me repeat that again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Mike. Uh, it's been great to uh, to be on the show with you. No problem. Okay, we'll talk to you later. All right. See ya, Mike. See ya.